Hi, this is Brian Stevens from Spy Point. I'm excited to talk with Melissa Bachman today, American Huntress, producer, and host of the popular TV hunting show, Winchester Deadly Passion. I've been a fan of this show because she's the real deal and one of the most approachable hunting celebrities out there. And there's no question about her dedication and passion for hunting. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Spy Point Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Stevens, and on this show, we get to talk about hunting, tactics, technology, and the inside scoop from industry pros. Follow along each month as we learn, laugh, and grow together with the passion we all have for the outdoors. This is the Spy Point Podcast. Welcome to the podcast uh, today, Melissa. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. What's the weather like there in uh, South Dakota today? It's chilly here in Atlanta. Well, I cannot believe that it is December and we have warm weather this morning. It was 46 degrees when I took the kids out to the bus. So it is uh, pretty warm, um, but that's not going to last long. Uh, We're supposed to already get snow tonight and the temps will be dropping very quickly, very soon. Well, yeah, and that's t- typical that time of year in that part of the country. And, and listen, I'm excited to talk about some of that cold weather and late season hunting with you. But before we jump into that, you know, l- let's talk a little bit about you and, you know, walk people through how you got started in the hunting industry and how you got started in, in hunting in general to really becoming, you know, one of the most successful TV hosts today, you know, with your TV show. Well, really how I got started is my mom and dad. Both my mom and dad hunted, and we weren't really given choices as a kid. We just always <laughs> did it together as a family. That's very and my cool. dad still jokes this to this day, saying the only reason he brought us is he didn't want to pay a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it was one of those things where we did it together. Nobody really ever questioned it, and yeah. I absolutely loved it. But in Minnesota, you had to be 12 years old before you could go hunting. Okay. Um, they didn't have any of the you things set up that were before 12. So I literally could not wait until my 12th birthday. I don't know oh, if there I was bet. ever a birthday I was more excited about than my 12th because I could finally go deer hunting. Um, and even before we started that night, I couldn't even sleep. I had all these little maps drawn of all the places I wanted to hunt and the order I wanted to hunt them. And I still look back and wonder, what were my mom and dad thinking? <laughs> like, what is wrong with this kid? She's got all these big plans. and You know, I was just really excited. And that kept going all the way through high school. My mom and dad actually signed a work permit, so I didn't have to go to school for the first two hours of the morning all hunting season. Holy cow, that's, um, a, and, that's a rock star mom yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that would ever be able to happen today in, in that school that's sure. probably banned because of me now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the, it, it really worked out well because the deal was sure? if I kept straight A's, I got to skip school till 10 a.m. I had enough call you know enough credits to be done with school so it's not like I had to be there and um, it just really worked out great and if I shot a deer I just had to have it hanging in the garage and be back to school by noon so to me you couldn't have asked for a better plan but that kind of shows you you know my love for hunting and and just how much I wanted to do it and my dream was to someday hunt every single day that was my goal I didn't Honestly, I didn't even really know that TV shows were an option. Um, we didn't watch hunting TV growing up. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any of those channels. We had like three, four channels. There was no hunting on them. <laughs> so I wasn't even hardly aware that that was an option. But when I went to college, 
I got a double major in television production and in Spanish. Okay. And that's when I realized I could really combine my love for television with hunting. Originally, my plan was to go to school and try to be on the NFL sidelines or do some Very sort cool. of, okay. you know, other other options. But then when I realized, well, I could mix that with hunting and then now I could hunt all the time. I was like, yes, that is what I want to figure out how to do. Um, so when I graduated, I actually sent out, I think it was right around like 74 resume reels is how you, you know, sent your tapes out. And I got 74 no's. Not one person was interested in hiring crazy? Me. Yeah. And I was thinking, now what am I going to do? And every one of them just said the same thing. You have no experience. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try something. I picked the number one place that I wanted to work. And I called them up and I said, I know you didn't hire me. And I'm sure you've filled the position. But what would you think if I came in and offered to work for free? And they're like, when can you start? I said, tomorrow. (laughs) And they said, well, what can you do? And I said, I can edit. I can shoot. I can sweep the floors if you need. Whatever you guys need. I just want to get my foot in the door. So they said, sure, start tomorrow. So unfortunately for me, that meant driving 150 miles a day, every day, to go work for free. Um, Not exactly an ideal setup, but I did that. And then I actually had to waitress at night to pay the bills to pay for my gas to get back and forth to my free job. Um, That went on for about four months. And after that, they actually hired me as a full-time producer and were really happy with all my work. And honestly, they taught me so many things. And my goal was to learn every aspect behind the camera. Because I knew you couldn't just walk into a place and say, hey, I want to be the hunter on camera. Can you put me on? They've been like, get out of here, kid. We don't want anything to do with you. So instead, I learned every aspect of it. I learned how to edit the shows, how to shoot everything. And of course, I'd gone to school for it, but it's totally different in kind of the real world. Um, So I did all that. I ended up working there for four years. And then I actually broke away and started my own production company and started my own show. And we're in season 10 of Winchester Deadly Passion right now. Wow. Wow. That's incredibly impressive. And, you know, the dedication and the, clearly you have the passion from, you know, how you grew up, but the work that you put in, uh, there's not a fraction of people in the hunting industry that have put, you know, hardly any of that kind of dedication into getting to where you are today. That's really impressive, Melissa. I I had no idea that you had put that much into it to get to where you are. and, And that really shows in, the work that you're doing today and, you know, how successful that you've been. So congratulations. That's a great story. Well, thank you very much. And I, you know, my goal was never to have a hunting show. I just wanted to learn yeah. how to hunt every day. So I think that sometimes can be the difference is if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would be doing everything I'm doing today, except for maybe making a TV show. I'm not too concerned about that part, but the actual hunting part, that's what I live for. I want to do it still every day, even though now it's my job. Of course, things change a little bit, but, you know, I just really, really love hunting. And I think that passion shows through in the show as well. It, it does. And, and what I like about your show and, you know, and there are a few others that I think carry the same kind of theme and, and mission to it. And that is it, the show's about the hunting and it's about the animals and the experience. And it's not about the person. 
And to me, that's the that's my barometer is how do I judge, you know, a, a successful show that I personally want to watch and been doing this a long time. And you clearly demonstrate that, that it's about the hunt, the experience. It's not about you necessarily as a person trying to be the celebrity. It's about, you know, where you're at and being in the moment and in, in experience and everything that you are. The highs, lows, and I appreciate the fact you show some of your, you know, successful hunts and less successful hunts. And we've all had perfect shots and less than perfect shots, but that's just mm-hmm. part of it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the fact you're willing to show all of that, I said, it says a lot about, you know, your passion and uh, your dedication and making it real. Well, I sure appreciate, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So let, let's, now that we, you know, know a little bit about how the foundation started and, and truly where that passion came from, let's jump into, you know, this December cold late season type of hunting. And so, you know, the rut for the most part is behind us. How does your strategy change on how you hunt and then also where you hunt? Well, late season has become kind of one of my favorite times of the year. And that's a couple different reasons, but mainly I'm the only person doing the show, right? So I've got to spread my season from early season through the rut into late season. And if I just quit after the rut, yeah. I'd be pretty short on shows. So I've always kind of been forced to hunt late season and I've come to absolutely love it. Um, this is a time of the year. When the bucks are run down, food sources are key. Um, out here, we don't have a ton of food sources. The good news is in South Dakota that a lot of people like to leave food plots for pheasants. Well, mm. it's also great food plots for yep. deer. Um, yep. So a lot of what we're doing is looking for areas where these deer will congregate late season, and they always congregate around food. Um, that's the number one thing we're looking for. And once we can find a food source, then it's a lot about scouting. I mean, my husband and I this week, we haven't hunted once. We've been out scouting every night because we believe you have to find a good buck that you're after, figure out what he's doing, then you move in and hopefully can make it happen. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, instead of just sitting blind, we don't do a lot of that. In fact, you know, one of my main areas that we've had such great luck on, I was gone for about three and a half weeks during the rut chasing deer all over. We came home. And every deer on our spy points had been killed. Oh, <laughs> All no. our big bucks were gone. And, you know, that happens to everybody. Yeah. The neighbors got them. We weren't hunting. That's the way it goes. So I think a lot of it is kind of learning to um, get through those challenges and find new deer. And it makes you a better hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're out there and you're putting that time into scouting, just like you do early season, late season's are almost identical where they become very patternable. But you have to know what they're doing and where they're coming from, and look at the wind for the next 10 days, and then make a plan. And that's exactly what we've been doing this week, and, and it's paid off numerous times in the past. Now, that's great. And so, you know, and, and listen, you know, over the last three or four years, you know, Caleb and I and, and have been hunting out there with Dusty in South Dakota and have become huge fans, um, you know, of the hunting out there because especially during the rut and late season um, is the, what you just said is these deer – will conjugate and get near those food sources and, you know, based on the terrain, you know, they'll typically filter and move through, you know, those bottoms and things of that nature. And we've had, you know, a lot of success and, you know, November we shot a a really nice buck out there and um, I I love it. Similar to Nebraska. I love Nebraska as well. And I think it's probably the same kind of, you know, strategy in Nebraska as well with that late season food source. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And honestly, almost everywhere I've hunted, I've hunted Illinois a ton for late season as well. 
um, Nebraska. Um, I got a beautiful buck there this year on November 2nd, nice. I believe it was. So kind of right as that rut was kicking in. But normally, I'm hunting Nebraska and South Dakota from basically all of December. You know, um, I know there's been numerous Christmas days where we've debated, should we go out <laughs> and uh, leave family for a little bit and just disappear and hopefully nobody notices? Um, but, you know, that's, that's the way it works. And we've just had great luck. But a, a key part to that, is making sure that you're actually prepared. Um, I see a lot of people who aren't used to hunting late season, and they're not dressed for it. They're not ready for it. And it is a whole different game. Um, we have hunted when it's been 30 below in Nebraska. And we went out, it was uh, Christmas Eve day, and we went out there, and it was so cold. But we were dressed for it. And you have to be smart about it. You have to try to think of every warming-type device that you've ever thought of. And I can promise you, you will know what didn't work (laughs) very, very quickly. (laughs) Um, I sat in that blind, and when I got out, I bought things the moment I got out because I said, I need this instead. (laughs) There's no question that cold pain will make you pull that pocketbook out and that wallet (laughs) real quick. (laughs) So what are some of those those specific things that you've used in the past? Obviously, the layering and, and good quality clothes make a huge difference, but are there a few other things that you have in your arsenal or in your 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 pack that you absolutely utilize to keep you warm yes um i found they're called thermacare heat wrap they're i don't know it's some uh company that just makes them for people with arthritis you can buy them at walmart walgreens wherever and you can put they're made for your lower back and your neck and your stomach is, is what they were designed for now a lot of people think when you see like arthritis type pads you think well they probably smell bad well they don't these have no scent to them And what I love is they will last like 12 to 14 hours. Sweet. And they don't shift in heat. They have a really even heat. And so what I do is I'll put a t-shirt on first and I'll put one around my back, my lower back. Because what that does is it keeps your kidneys warm. Then I'll put one on my neck and that one has stickies that stick right to your neck. And then I'll usually take one more lower back one and put it across my chest. So now I've got just like a base heating system. That's not battery operated, not anything. You just put them on and they're pretty cheap. You know, they're only a couple bucks. And I promise when you're out there, you'll be so thankful. And the funny part is even when it's not really cold, I keep them in my pack all the time. Because even like when we're elk hunting, for example, the weather can get freezing cold all of a sudden or a storm rolls in or whatever. And I don't have to bring a ton of extra layers. I can always just keep those. And as a bow hunter, I like it because then you don't have to be as bulky. Yep. You can have less clothes on and stay warm. And if you're hunting with others and they don't have them, you can out hunt them all day. That's it. <laughs> Everyone's like, geez, how does she never get cold? Well, that's one of the things that I do is, is I put those on and, and I really like it. And you can put them right on your skin. I just like to have one layer just so that they're not scratching me throughout the day. Um, but I, I really think those are helpful. And the other thing that usually gets cold on people are their hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is one that she hates late season hunting. She wants nothing to do with it. If it's not super warm, she does not want to be out there. Um, and so with the hands and feet, what I started doing is just wearing whatever rubber boots that I have. I have some great boots by DSG. But then I take, they're called boot blankets. Okay. Several companies make them. Yeah. It's basically like a big pillow for your foot. Okay. And you drop a hot hand in it between your boots and that boot blanket, and you will stay so warm. Now, 
It looks like you're maybe going to the North Pole. And, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, Fashion don't... doesn't matter no. when you're cold. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. And the funny part about that is I've met people at shows and they're like, wow, you're a lot thinner than I thought. And I'm like, that's because I'm always hot in late season and have like 50 layers on, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've ever hunted late season, yeah, you are yeah. not worried about, you know, how many layers or what you look like. You are worried about staying warm. And that really does make a big difference. Now, those are huge tips. So thank you for sharing that. The, those are definitely one that I didn't realize um, as far as the, the little thermopacks and uh, putting them, you know, in the different yeah, parts and, of your and core. Again, and you can get core. them all over. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, so when you think about, you know, the, the late season, you, you food sources, wind, you know, obviously, you know, scouting, pinpointing, do you typically focus on just evening hunts? Because I know a lot of times, similar to early season, mornings can be tough because these deer are coming off of the fields to go back to bed. And so do you find that, you know, you only hunt in the afternoons or do you have opportunities to hunt, you know, both morning and afternoons? Um, usually we're hunting afternoons by this time of the year. Yeah. However, we do use those mornings. Um, for scouting. Got it. Um, and again, they, it's just a great time to sit up on a hill and see exactly what's going on and kind of get an idea of what those deer are doing and, uh, you know, what the, what the day is going to become and where they're going. Because a big part of, of sitting on those fields is knowing where they're coming from. So you can plan accordingly. And if you get a chance to sit on those fields in the morning, well, you know where they went. And that is huge. I think that's a really, really helpful part. Um, I'm a big fan of sleeping in if you can, um, but if there's good scouting to do, that's worth it as well. Visit spypoint.com forward slash insiders to learn all about the new SpyPoint Insiders Club that gets you incredible discounts on things like photo transmission plans and accessories, free shipping from spypoint.com, exclusive content and giveaway access, and the most advanced mobile scouting tools SpyPoint has to offer. That's spypoint.com forward slash insiders. No, that's, 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 you know, and I very helpful. And I think we've experienced a lot of that when we've hunted, you know, states like Nebraska and South Dakota, um, you know, and again, that's same with the early season, typically stay away from the mornings. We'll get up, scout glass, watch these deer where they're, you know, coming in and out of the field. And then, you know, I think in the late season, that's that same philosophy holds true. And, you know, you're reinforcing that, especially out in, you know, South Dakota, Nebraska type of terrain. You know, in the southeast, it's hard because it's it's so um, dense in, in the terrain and it just the cover. So you don't necessarily have that opportunity to do that. But I still will typically hunt. You know, I've got a farm here in, in North Georgia that's got, you know, some really good deer on it. But I'll typically only hunt um, in the afternoons, especially when it gets this cold. So, um, great, great insight. Thank you for that. So, speaking of South Dakota, tell us a story, you know, one of the the hunts that you just, you know, is the most memorable hunt. You've shot a lot of big deer in that state. But, you know, whether it's, you know, know, early season during the rut or late season, you know, give me a story of one of your most memorable hunts. Well, I would say probably one of the most memorable. Um, years ago, we had a really beautiful buck on camera. He ended up being a 177-inch buck, and we had him on quite a bit in the early season, and then he just disappeared. And we're thinking, okay, you know, we got a lot of hunters around us, a lot of people that can hunt that same area. 
he must have got shot. Well, I was doing all my regular hunts, and I was up in Canada hunting Saskatchewan, and my husband texted me, and he said, hey, that big buck's back on camera. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, I feel like I'm a whole world away. You yeah. know? And he said, we've got nighttime pictures. And then he called me the next day. He said, we've got daytime pictures. We have to get out there. So I actually left that hunt a little bit early. We were having kind of rough weather up there. Huge storms were moving in. So I got out of there, came back home. We had scouted a ton. And what we like to do in these areas is not only just scout, but kind of create a reason for those deer to come there. So we put water holes. We put licking branches. We put rub posts. We put mock scrapes up. We do all these things to the area to try to bring those bucks to us. Yep. And this buck was starting to hit those areas. Nice. And what we found is the moment you get that daylight picture, the moment they're hitting your spot, you've got to get in there. Not only because someone else might shoot them, but, you know, they're on a pattern, get in there. So I made it home. I think I ended up flying and traveling all night. We went out that next morning, and by noon we had him killed. Wow. And it was one of the coolest experiences because, yes, the hunt itself, it was pretty short. But it shows when you do all that work ahead of time how well you can increase your success. And, of course, that doesn't happen all the time. But that was actually the third big buck I killed out of that exact stand location doing those same methods. Um, so, you know, it just kind of shows, you know, maybe the first time, the second time, well, maybe it's a coincidence. When you do it three times, you're like, okay, this is truly working, you know. Um, so I think that's something where you can learn from it. And we actually realized that a lot of our, our stand locations, we couldn't see the deer as well as we wanted. So we brought in an elevated blind mm-hmm. to make it even better, and that made the difference. Well, in those elevated blinds, I mean, Caleb and I hunted in, you know, one um, in, in Nebraska before we went to South Dakota. And, and just, you know, it can make all the difference in the world. You know, we were in a cut cornfield. It's cold. It's snowing. You, you, the swirling wind, it helps manage your scent a little bit. And so, you know, and you can bow hunt out of them, and it's just, you know – in the right conditions and scenario, they can be a game changer for you. And listen, I love to hunt out of a tree stand, but there are many times when, you know, the only option you have is some of those elevated, you know, blinds like that to get on some of these deer that get really smart and have a particular pattern. And that's the only way you can get on them. Absolutely. And I think sometimes too with that is you're more comfortable. So you're more apt to go there. If it's snowing and blowing, like you said, you're going to like it a lot better if you have a, a blind you can get no, to that you're no, going to be comfortable in. And you can sit longer too. You know, you can, you can be there, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I've seen these deer will, will walk early, especially based on a, a changing weather condition. It might be, you know, one or two o'clock, even, you know, when that sun's out um, based on the moon and that in the December time frame, you could get a big mature buck that he's going to come out, you know, early afternoon and if you can be there and sit it out and be comfortable, then that's the only time you can kill him is if you're in the stand and, you know, when he comes out. So um, I'm a big believer in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's been proven time and time again. I mean, look at if, if it's available, how many people will hunt out of those. And even if you don't have a hard-sided blind, a ground blind makes a world of difference. Um, the length of time you can sit there, and like you said, you know, we hunt afternoons. But we usually like to go in by 1230 or 1 o'clock. Yep. So that can be a long, long afternoon sit if it's raining or snowing or blowing wind or sleeting. So 
any little thing that you can do to just keep you a little more comfortable. And honestly, if it can just make you get out there, because there's plenty of times where you're like, you know, should we go? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> let's skip it, you know? Um, but if you're going to be comfortable, I think people are more apt to go and, and to get out there and give it, give it a try. No, that's a- a- absolutely true. Absolutely true. So we, we talked a little bit about um, South Dakota. We've talked about Nebraska. Are there any other states that are, you know, places that you love to go to during December or late season? Late season? Um, and there are some places, you know, the season will extend a little bit into January, but are there other states that you, you focus on this time of year? Um, those are the primary ones. We always do um, Montana right at the very end of November. And honestly, at the end of November for them, it is the peak of their rut. Okay. And we go out there and we do tons of rattling. And I always do it right up leading to Thanksgiving. Um, and we have had some of the best rattling I've ever seen. Um, I don't think we've ever gone out there and rattled in less than 30 or 40 bucks. Um, so when you talk about a place that is just super conducive to rattling, in my opinion, Montana has it. And one of the reasons is because you've got all those river bottoms. Mm-hmm. So you can really get into places and pull them out of their bedding areas. And they're curious. And there are so many deer out there. Um, you just have huge numbers of deer. So you hit those horns together, and the next thing you know, you've got deer in your lap all over the place. And it really is an exciting hunt. And, you know, it's, it's great. Um, that's kind of the end of their season. So I guess in my book, that's kind of late season hunting for Montana because those are the last days of the season. No, absolutely. And I've, I've been out there, you know, a few times and more in, in the earlier part of, you know, the rut and, you know, that, that time you're not quite there that, that late, but you're right. And I've seen some of your, your footage, you know, that those river bottoms and rattling those big deer. And it just, it is kind of mind blowing how many deer respond to that, that time of year. And that's, that's when it gets fun and exciting because you, literally don't know what's going to come around that next cottonwood tree or around that bend in that bottom and show up. And that's what makes that rattling hunting really fun. Oh yeah. And it's not like it is out here where we have a pretty good idea of, of what bucks are on camera yep. or what we've been seeing. You have no clue what's going to come in. <laughs> I mean, you're going to probably rattle in a lot of deer in that 120, 130 inch range, but you may rattle in a monster and then there's times when you rattle one in and you think he's an absolute monster. And then you got to really look at him good yep, yep. because I have learned <laughs> trying to judge deer through a scope. I'm not sure if it's because you're looking kind of with one eye or what, but you can misjudge things. So I usually will stop, take a second, look above the scope, just really think it through. Um, and, you know, and it, it is a blast. I mean, your heart is just pounding every time deer come in. And I absolutely love that. No, that's that that that's great. Um, Montana is is again another awesome uh, state to hunt, and it can be successful early season too. There's no question, but that late season is oh, absolutely. You know, and, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too is even like in South Dakota, what I love, and I think people don't always know, is there's so many tags available for people. You know, just because you get your one buck doesn't mean that you're done hunting either. Um, so. There's a lot of opportunities, and I usually try to hunt East River, um, okay. basically that week between Christmas and New Year's, um, and I have literally had some of the best hunting I have ever seen in my life during that time. So is that a different tag? Is that for just residents, or can non-residents get that tag as well? Nope, that is a tag for non-residents as well. 
Um, So as a non-resident, I used to always get that. It's an R3 only tag, um, but it's for East River specifically. And it is just so fun to hunt that area. Um, I hunted with a place that had big pheasant operation, and I literally would see sometimes seven to 800 deer in a sit. Um, I've never, ever seen anything quite like it. But, you know, when you think about late season hunting, that is exactly what you have in mind. I actually did a show on it, and people thought that it was from, like, a game farm or something because <laughs> we had so many deer. Well, that that's uh, – I've seen a lot of deer in some fields, but not that many. Um, listen, when the food is uh, scarce and it's cold, they're going to show up. And so um, that's definitely something we'll have to check out and uh, and maybe research that tag. So thank you for sharing that. So let's let's shift to what's on the horizon for you and, you know, the show. And I know you have you know, your digital platforms, but um, you said this is your 10th year doing um, Winchester Deadly Passion. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is my 10th season. Um, we've been doing it for a long time. I run my show 52 weeks a year, so we do a lot of episodes in that time. <laughs> yes, that's a ton of work. So what, what, what's, what's on the horizon? Obviously, 2020 has been you know a crazy year, but we managed through. It sounds like you, you've done that. You've had some successful hunts this year. Um, you know, what, what can people expect from you know, some of the episodes this year? And then you know, is there anything new and different for 21 or is it more of just focusing on the same kind of the hunts um, for your show? Well, I'm always trying to just get new ideas and new places, but I'm also a big believer of going back to places that number one, were successful. But number two, it's really about the people. Yep. You know, you get used to, to hunting with people and you, they get, you're friends with them. You know, you're just as excited to get back there and see some of them as you are the hunting. So I really try to mix it up. Um, from this season, I had just incredible luck early season. Um, I had a huge mule deer that we had chased for almost 10 days. Um, and he was the number one deer we were after all spot and stock. Ended up getting him. Nice. Um, I had a great spot and stock antelope hunt. I'm not a big fan of sitting in those blinds anymore. Um, so anytime we can, we try to get out there with the bow and stalk them. And, and that's super hard to do. Oh, my gosh. It's oh, hard yeah. to do. Good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, really tough. And we've done that now three years in a row out there in Colorado. So it's definitely doable. I think part of the reason that it's not done more often is people just don't think it's possible. Um, so I think that's just something that people, hopefully, the more they see it, the more they'll try. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, you know, we stalked up on this antelope. He was sleeping at 30 yards, and we had a heck of a time waking him up. <laughs> um, and he was laying under one lone tree in the whole area. I bet that was the only tree for eight miles. And there he sat. Um, so, it, it, you know, you, you just got to try things. I think sometimes people are afraid to, to mess it up, but really it could be a great experience. And, and if nothing else, you'll learn from it. Sure, you know? yep. And then I drew a phenomenal elk tag. So we went down to the Gila area. And uh, hunted elk. It was super hot, rough, rough hunting for sure. And this was a tag that took me almost 10 years to draw. Um, but we got it and went down there, hunted for 10 days there as well. And uh, hot, hot conditions. Nothing was working spotting and stocking. So we decided to sit over this little water hole we found. Sat there for about three days. And the guide's like, listen, you didn't pay to come do this. Well, we can keep going. I said, no. I think this is going to be where it's going to work out. And sure enough, that evening, we got it done on a beautiful bull. 
And, you know, on that, I just kind of wanted to show people that maybe you have plans on doing a hunt and you want it to go a certain way. That doesn't mean that's the way it can always yeah. go. You know, you really have to learn to adapt. And, and if you want to get it done, you may not do it the exact way you envisioned in your head, but it'll still be a great opportunity. No, that, and that's, I think a lot of people overlook that. And listen, in the past, I think I've done that as well. You know, and mm-hmm. you just, you, you got to learn to adjust and, and accommodate to the situation, the weather, what the animals are doing. And, you know, you can have one mindset, but, you know, that doesn't always mean that, that they're going to cooperate mm-hmm. and, and follow that script. So good for you. I know Caleb yeah. was out there, you know, filming, you know, a couple of, you know, folks out there that time of year, and it was tough hunting, chasing those elk. So that the fact you got it done is kudos to you. Yeah, it was awesome. And then, you know, we had some great whitetail hunts, some great mule deer hunts. Um, always try to go back to some of those really fun spots that I enjoy. And, and we got a beautiful, huge buck in Nebraska, kind of to kick off the deer season with my bow. Um, and I had been chasing him all season. Um, I, I think we had been sitting there for three, maybe four weeks already, trying to hunt this deer every day, lining up babysitters, doing everything possible. So that was just a really great way to kick off the season. And then it just rolled into a bunch more great mule deer and whitetail hunts. So I'm really, you know, looking forward to 2021. Some of our hunts got pushed back. Um, some of the big ones like yeah. our Canada moose hunt, um, different things like that. But um, I think we're going to have a lot of adventure in 2021, um, going to some new places that we that we weren't able to go to this year, plus all the standard stuff that you, you know, you really grow to love and, and enjoy year after year. Well, that's exciting. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about your style of hunting too is that you, you obviously you focus on the big game. You know, a lot of deer, mule deer, elk. But the fact you like to bowfish, you like to gator hunt, you like to do a lot of different turkey hunt. You know, Billy and I grew up in Florida, so you know we gator hunted and you know we've hunted a lot of deer down there and, and hog hunted and turkey hunted and bowfished and all that. And not a lot of people experience that. And I know you know you were down there. We were talking at ATA about uh-huh. you know bowfishing those tuna, and we've done that, and it's hard to do. And so oh, the fact <laughs> that you you know took the challenge to do that was super impressive but the, the, to me getting out and experiencing all of those different types of hunting and, and outdoors whether it be land water and different species that's what I love and I you know the fact that you're willing to take on some of those other challenges is pretty cool yeah and I think part of it too is just knowing hey you're coming into an area I don't know anything about shooting tuna in water bow fishing them I bowfish carp my whole life. That's where my expertise ends. You teach me what you know. Yep. And I think you can learn so much from people because everyone has their little areas that they're really, really good at. So if people would just sometimes just calm down and just take it all in. You know, yep. some of it you might not think it's right. Fine, no big deal. I've heard lots of advice I would never repeat <laughs> or use myself. Um, but I've also learned a ton from people as well. So I think sometimes just being a little more open-minded and taking things in and, and saying, you know what, that might work. And then maybe giving it a try and, and figuring it out for yourself is really the key to, you know, it makes the difference between good hunters and really great hunters is, is people who are willing to try new things and, and learn from their own mistakes or from advice others give them too. And that's it. And if we, and that's life. If you can be open-minded and be willing to, you know, have a different perspective or learn something, like you said. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is it gives you an opportunity to experience something 
that maybe you didn't and you get out of your comfort zone. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we like to stay in our, our comfort zone and our lane and you only deer hunt and listen, we all love to do that. But if people have the chance to go do a gator hunt or go do a hog hunt or go bow fish or, you know, turkey hunt different species of turkeys and different terrains. I mean, that's just the slam is one of the coolest things mm-hmm. that, you know, I've been able to do with the bow. And so it just all that. So I appreciate the fact you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and do some of that stuff. And sometimes it works out, like you said, and sometimes it doesn't, but at least you tried. Yep, absolutely. Well, listen, it's, it's been truly a, a pleasure. Anything else um, that you want to share with everybody before we wrap up as far as anything to look out for, um, you know, for this season or, or next season and anything just, you know, to give anybody a heads up on? Well, they can catch Winchester Deadly Passion every Sunday morning on Sportsman's Channel at 1130 Eastern Time. Um, we've got tons of great episodes coming up from this season, and we're going to have a whole bunch next year. So just tune in and uh, – you're, you're going to be entertained. I can promise you that much. That I have, I have no doubt, Melissa, not, not at all. Your passion and dedication and your love for the sport is, is evident and it, and it shows. And so, um, again, I wish you the best of luck and have a happy holiday. And it's, it's been truly a pleasure talking with you today. Well, thank you guys for having me. I sure do appreciate it. Good luck to everyone still out hunting. Good deal. Take care. Don't forget to visit spypoint.com forward slash project for all the latest from Project SpyPoint. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest on SpyPoint trail cameras and the outdoors.